Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to episode number 352 of the Library Training Podcast, TS Training. My name is Maurice Coleman, and you can find TS Training on the World Wide Web at tsatraining.wordpress.com. You can find my crap at colemanassociates.net. Please feel free to hire me to be your brilliant mind because, well, I need money. That's more important. And I like helping people. All righty. And with that, let us roll around and do things with our panel this evening. By the way, those of you who are fans of our wonderful show notes written by Jill Hurst Wall, I will be the substitute teacher this evening, which means I'll be poorly <laughs> done. But they'll at least be funny-ish for me. And they'll be random. Did notes. you bring your crayon? I did. I have one crayon right here. Uh, and let's see. Let's go around and introduce our panel. We're going to start in Houston, Texas with Tom. Hi. Tom Hames, uh, teacher, writer, miscellaneous, ne'er-do-well, author of uh, Discovering Digital Humanity and Learn at Your Own Risk. Okay. And Paul? Thanks, Maurice. Paul Signorelli, based in San Francisco, writer, trainer, presenter, consultant. Doing a lot of blogging again these days at my blog, buildingcreativebridges.wordpress.com. Happy to be back on the show. All right. And as usual, Paul, who does a wonderful job as our Wrangler. Hi, Diane. Diane is there, but she is not in audio, and she might be in chat. And with talks, you usually have to find the chat. It takes me like 10 minutes to find a damn chat. But, uh, Paul, if you can keep she an eye She might be incognito. Oh, that's true. Okay, there we go. All right. Uh Paul, as usual, you bring wonderful topics to the group because that is your that's where your head is usually. And you like organizing this stuff, and I'm glad you do it. And I'm appreciative of it. So what are we talking about tonight? Thank you, Maurice. Uh, inspiration and where we find it. I was inspired to write another piece about a week ago when our colleague George Koros, who does a lot of wonderful writing on education, put a challenge out to a bunch of us saying, um, here's some quotes. If you would like to do a set of reflections on them, feel free to do them, post your reflections on Twitter, Instagram, mm -hmm. YouTube, TikTok, blog, MySpace, or whatever, and tag me on it. And that's a lovely challenge. So I looked through the quotes. Well, they were lovely. None of them really spoke to me at the level of making me wanted to, wanting to write immediately about them. So I set the idea aside for a couple of hours, and then I was on Facebook and saw another colleague who was posting a quote, and it was like, bingo, the moment where the quote she had was one that really spoke to me. It was from, uh, attributed at least to Paulo Coelho. The quote is, close some doors today, not because of pride, incapacity, or arrogance, but simply because they lead you nowhere. And I okay. got to think about the idea of the doors we close so that we can open others. And I opened that door to all of us tonight to say, what is it, or to ask each of us, what is it that inspires us in training, teaching, learning? And what can we share about that with others so they 
if they're struggling for inspiration, know how some of us approach it. Maybe you're inspired by that too. I throw it out to yeah. the panel. And hi, Diane, who's now at, who's now uh, with audio and visual. Yeah, thanks. You're welcome. All right, throw it out to you. You want to introduce yourself, Diane? Yes, thank you. Oh, so yes, I'm Diane Huckabay, and I live in Ellensburg, Washington. I'm been busy um, with a lot of meetings. Uh, have an intern working with me this quarter, and um, yesterday, well, Okay, am I? Um, yeah, so we had a library conference or the the library council yes meeting yesterday, so that was fun. Just it's busy okay. stuff. <laughs> you know, Diane, that that in itself, that introduction is an opening to of the door that I'm trying to prod us into this evening. I get a lot from the people I mentor. You're talking about this intern you have. Do you find mm -hmm. your intern? serving as a source of inspiration to you oh yes that's kind of um it's kind of just having help with our project is like really fun <laughs> what kind of conversations do you and the intern have to actually make the inspiration go both way both directions there well she's only this is only like her second day yesterday and she got sick today so um that's not very inspiring short conversations <laughs> it's, a short internship. it's a very short internship <laughs> so in, in a dead end in that particular door we'll close that one the reason i was asking that is clearly we've had discussions about mentoring a lot i keep making the point that my colleagues and i when we mentor somebody we always gain as much as we give. I've, I've got three or four people that I've mentored over the last couple of years that I stay in touch with long after the formal mentoring ends. And the conversations are so wonderful. It has nothing to do with age and experience. It has everything to do with a different perspective that they bring. And I was bouncing ideas off each other. Are you fine? Well, is this your first intern or have you had others? No, I, I think 2018 was the first time I had history interns. This is the first year that I've had an intern coming through the library science program um and she's actually majoring in history but she's minoring in in, in the las oh you're hatching a librarian isn't that just special yeah okay it's not even easter yet i feel like we should have like intern peeps or maybe librarian peeps coming out at us <laughs> Well, what, so what are you having your intern do with you, Diane? What's the plan? Well, it's the forever project. We've been entering data for the um, our obituary files. Okay, so it's really it just a, creating a story. Did I miss database. something? Okay, I heard balls, you. right? What? <laughs> You've written balls, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Diane, so you're really creating you're creating a digital database of of uh, obituaries for Eastern Washington. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, for our uh, um, Kittitas County. Okay. So, so Paul, if you feel like you're about to die, head up to Kittitas <laughs> County so you can get into her files. So you well, can, you can day have by day, I feel closer and closer to it. It's oh, a topic boy. I do give a little bit of thought to. Oh, boy. <laughs> and so at the beginning, we at the end. So is your person, is her interest in 
preservation, archival stuff, or you just had this project and she said, I'd like to do something. We have something you want to do. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, I, um, so I used the, the uh, history department usually solicits our project to, to get to have interns. Uh-huh. And, um, and I hadn't, didn't have any responses. And so when I was at ACRL um, in October, uh, I asked the, the chair of the library department if, if they, you know, I just gave her the description. And so she got, that's where they found me. Awesome. <laughs> I've found over the years that the people that I've um, worked with, either in a formal mentoring relationship or running programs where they were interns in a library or in other organizations, it's so much fun to interact with them. And especially once they move on to whatever their next thing is to mm-hmm. watch as their careers progress. There are a few, I, mean, I think most of us on the call know Nicole Brown. Nicole is somebody that came through the internship at San Francisco Public Library when I was running a, a special program there. And over the years, she's just been phenomenal as her career progresses. We've gotten to the point where we've been able to do presentations together. We're serving on a committee together at the California Library Association. And that to me is part of the joy of what we do. It's not just teaching somebody to do something or training them to do something, but watching them develop and developing right back with them in directions we never would have expected. Well, and working with them, I mean, a lot of times we, our processes are always improved by having the help. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That having that outside, it's really because Sometimes organization gets so insular that having an outside fresh eyes saying, well, why do you do it that way? <laughs> and you look and go, yeah, why do we do it that way? That's a dumb <laughs> way of doing it. Thank you for saying those words. Why do we do it that way? But it does help sometimes to have the fresh eyes from outside just to think of something differently. It's invaluable to any organization to have fresh ideas come in. I mean, any organization that doesn't rebuild, reload, et cetera, becomes stagnant. Maurice, over a very long period of time now, you and I have talked about a number of different things, but I don't think you and I have ever actually explored what, if anything, you're doing in terms of informal or formal mentoring. Do you have those kind of relationships too in the work you do? Yes. At my my place of work with Shower Name Nameless. That is really part of my job is to mentor people, or as I call it, annoy them into getting degrees or advancing or figuring out their career path. But yes, that's part of my job. My day job is to mentor, is to informally mentor. Not, there's no, I'm not an official mentor, but I'm the swift kick in the ass if someone needs something. Or as, as encouraging one of our staff members who has credits at a college, and I told her, every time I see you, I'm going to ask you about, did you settle that thing with your school, which won't allow you to do remote work, which is dumb, especially in this day and age. Mm. So every time I do it, I, I encourage her, okay, you need to do something about this. You have the credits. You have almost no credits to have a degree. And in libraries, having a bachelor's degree means more profitable work. You can get 
paid more to do things if you had at minimum a, a degree. She's young, she's smart. Hope she stays in our library system because we really could use her. And that is part of what I do is that type of encouragement and career encouragement. You know, I'll go for this position. I don't want to. Why not? I don't know if I could do it. Ah, no one knows what they're doing anyway. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, things like that. Everyone, everyone fakes it until they make it. So, so yes, I, that's what I do in my day job. And at times in my professional consulting life, I do that too when people call me up and ask me for things, but I do way more of it at work, which is cool. Well, let's circle back to tonight's topic. So you've been doing that informally and formally with some of the people at work. Mm -hmm. You made that decision to go after the degree a couple of years ago and very successfully accomplished that. Were you inspired and turned by the people that you had been mentoring or the people around you? Yes and no. Uh, I wanted to really put my put my money where my mouth was. I hate that phrase, but it's the truth. You know, if I'm encouraging people to go back to school, maybe I should go back to school and finish it my damn self. So I decided to do that, and I and I can tell them now, experientially, I know how hard it is. I know what it's like. This is what worked for me. I had a full-time job, plus I have a couple of side hustles, plus I had, you know, school, and how it worked for me. And I know at least for one other, one other person I talked to that I learned from someone else, I was able to pass it on how to in school and not make yourself crazy during the semester so that informal thing it's a whole passing it on thing you know pass on your knowledge uh, there was is a guy uh, a sports writer named jay billis i think it was him on espn radio who said look here's what i think when i meet someone no matter where i go is that everyone's an expert in something you're not everyone you meet is an expert in something you're not and if you have any type of inquisitive bone in your body, you should inquire, what do you know? How do you know th this, et cetera? People like to talk about themselves and what they know. Let them talk about themselves and you will definitely learn something. And in that, that's where all this comes in, you know, inspiring from the person at the grocery store, the clerk at the grocery store, or... Uh, being inspired by a nurse who, you know, lost a kid and, you know, she talks about just losing her kid and how she's persevering so close to the time her son passed away. You know, those daily experiences and finding and seeking them out and really giving and caring a rat's patootie about someone, showing an interest in someone can lead to wonderful conversations, which can lead to you being inspired. Tom, you've been very forthright over the, the course of the time you've been with T's for training about frustration you have with the learners that are in there because they need the grades, they need the, the degree, and that seems to be what motivation they have, if any motivation at all. Have you had learners that you've actually been inspired by and continue to stay in touch with? You want an honest answer? Yeah. Nobody's no. listening. Not. <laughs> Really? No, not, not, at not all. among my college students. Ah, you qualified that. You qualified that, Tom. So you have college students. What about other students or other people you've encountered? Well, I mean, I've definitely, um, you know, 
only reason Paul talks to me is that he learned from me at one point. So, you know, uh, he counts. Uh, I mean, people who I've done presentations for over the years and who are, you know, uh, at, uh, at conferences and stuff like that. And if you call them learners, then sure. You know, mm-hmm. but I mean, learner is such a broad topic. I, I mean, broad topic, broad category. We're always learning. Everyone's always learning. And I think, you know, if, if you stop learning, you're dead. Um, and, um, you're, um, yeah, I mean, if you, as a teacher, you have to learn and listen to what your students are doing and adapt to that as well. So, I mean, there's that as well. So, I mean, it's, uh, and that's tough because they don't, they won't usually tell you, uh, they'll just sort of sit back and take it. Thank you, sir. May I have another? Um, which I don't consider to be very productive. And so that's, that's, that's the real struggle there. But um, so you say you have to learn and adapt to their unspoken needs. So you have to kind of be a mind reader, your students. Or, yeah, or at least a work reader. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I'm always looking for new ways. I mean, it's a, it's a real frustration. I mean, one, one of the fundamental problems with the way my class is, my college class, my um, is that most of the students are not intellectually prepared to understand political science or government. They're just not, not in any sort of real disciplinary sense because it's an abstract concept. And so, you know, teaching them about all of these theories of democracy and Burke and all this other stuff we learned in grad school is a waste of time because they don't have the fundamentals to really grab into that and to make it relevant to them. You know, I had to do a lot of reading before I ever really got into politics and government. I read a ton of history before, you know, and I always thought of politics and government as applied history. I still do, but uh, um, they haven't done that. They haven't done the reading um, uh, at any, you know, that no one forces them to do, to, to learn this stuff. And I, you know, it's true of my, it's true of my own kids too. I struggle with that with them too. Although, you know, they get a little bit through osmosis. Um, but that actually leads me to the thing that I've recently sort of had a bit of an epiphany on, maybe not a huge epiphany, but I was asked by someone to try to figure out what motivates me, what gives me joy and pushes me forward. And um, I've been trying to push myself into doing more photography lately, just because it's healthy. Um, not because I'm trying to uh, uh, be the world's greatest photographer. I mean, I'm not trying to impress anybody but myself. But I was watching a, a video the other day, and it really hit me. The, the 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 photographer there quoted someone, and I can't. I was looking for the quote a minute ago, and I can't quite. I can't find it. But uh, she said, "Most art, most painting, is the art of adding to. You know, you start with a blank canvas, you start adding things to that, right?" Mm-hmm. photography is the art of removal it's the art of taking things away because mm-hmm. you have to simplify reality in order in in order to cre- convey the message that you want to convey with your photograph and um that really struck me and i was like wait a minute she's right and and that also informs pretty much everything i do because the, the reason I am excited, I get excited. Okay, uh, get out your bingo cards. The reason I get excited about AI 
is because uh, I see it as a way. <laughs> I see it as a way. In. Twenty minutes as, in. No, no, no. But I've only been talking for two or three. Um, I see it as a tool for simplifying reality, and most other people don't. And that's the thing that I find really frustrating sometimes. I, I've been in. I was in two different sessions today with in meetings one one of which was 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 brian's forum uh one of which was uh, a adjunct faculty meeting with a presenter who was uh basically treating ai like it was a like it was a parlor trick and i was like you're really not thinking about this very deeply are you um and the um the thing that i get excited about is again using ai to help me see parts of the world that are hard for me to understand, to pull together. And, um, but that's not the way most people use it or see it. And that's why I think of AI graphically much more than I do textually in many ways. And so if you look at my series of videos, generated aug generative augmented perspective videos, that's exactly what I'm talking about there. But as a teacher, I'm trying to do the same thing. There is way more information about pick a course, politics and government, uh -huh. or photography or whatever, right. than you can reasonably grasp in a 16-week semester. Even if you're a good student, you're yeah. not going to get the perspective. There are things that only years after school I started to put together and went, oh, now I understand how this course related to this course related to this and so on and so forth. When you're in the middle of it as a, as a learner, mm -hmm. You have no idea. It doesn't, it's like, okay, I got to take this course. I got to get this credit. I got to check this box. Got to move on through, you know. And that trivializes the whole thing. My students struggle with that because one of the, the ways, the, the way I teach my course, remember I have that the challenge where I ask them to pick a challenge and then analyze the challenge and then find some ideas of things, other, you know, that, that people have tried to, attack the challenge with, mm -hmm. and then and then game out how you navigate your way through either American or Texas government. That's the structure of the course. That's asking students to pull together the 16-week course in a way that most courses don't. Most courses are chapters. Right. Get to the first or do the test. Get to the second chapter, do the test, do so on and so forth, or midterm, whatever, some combination. But it you, you're supposed to learn what's before in order to understand what's after, but the reality is most people don't. And most professors realize that by the end of the semester, they've been spinning their wheels an awful lot. Um, I'm trying to pull that all together. And so when I talk in the last week of class, oh, you remember that thing we did back in the first week of class? This is where this comes back into play. Mm -hmm. But it, instead of me just having talked about it, maybe relying on their notes, they've actually done something. And they right. could theoretically go back and look at it if they have the motivation to do so. I tried last semester to create a graphic of my entire class, or actually I did that about a year ago. And I actually tried to apply it last semester, although I didn't really do it very well. But that actually mapped out everything you're going to do in this class and how all those is linked together. Mm -hmm. um, it was hard to I, I couldn't quite figure out how to link that in as a picture so if i had an ai for instance though that could map things out dynamically for the students as they were going through and 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 when they did get to that we're like why the hell am i doing this that it would then tell them oh you well it's because 
this is what you did before, or this right. is what you're trying. This is the skill. And I can explain this stuff in class. I mean, that's, you know, we are AIs as teachers. We are curators of information. Um, and we, we're going to, you know, the, and people who are saying, oh, well, the AI will replace us then because it can do the same thing. Well, no, like our students, we have to up our game and be better curators of information and use the AI as a tool to do a lot of the heavy lifting at the low levels that we used to have to do by brute force. Whoa. And that's the AI calling me in. That, that was that was my shut up. That was my shut up Tom Buzzer. So but no, I mean, so back to that general point though, the thing that drives me is can I simplify the world enough so my students, my learners can grasp it? in the frameworks that they have to work with it. And that's true whether you're talking about a 16-week semester or a one-week, a one-day training session slash workshop. And that's tough. That's the that's a really tough thing, but it's that's that's actually what motivates me. And it stretches through everything. It's my photography, it's my teaching, it's, it's my you're doing the same thing. Conceptual I, I, intellectual work. It's all the same thing. I'm writing, I'm writing notes here to, when you started talking about what pushes you forward is what you said that person said about uh photography it takes away and also reframes this is yeah. your vision of this very big thing here is my little slice of that thing this is why my slice means to me this is what my slice means to you that's what we do as trainers teachers learners and you're right but now we're also going to have to figure out how to connect those slices with the other slices Right, but that that should and that's be, what the AI can help us. Well, that should be part of our damn thing beforehand, is connect this slice with that slice, or connect the slice yeah. with someone's work. Now you get X amount of people. You do some sort of one day workshop. They're from twelve different organizations. I need to, as a facilitator, make sure that they understand the material they thought they were going to come get, make it relevant to them. And also That's give them the some key. tools so that when they leave, they can make some sort of substantive change in their their organization. Even a mind but some sort of change in their organization. That's a hell of a lot of heavy lifting, but it does help to use the photography metaphor. Here's what I see. This is how I frame this out. I want you to see it as I do so you can have the resource of my vision when you go back to your place and that you could look at something as I look at something and maybe that makes it better for you. Mm -hmm. But it ain't easy, but that's inspiration is that thing. I never thought, thank you, Tom. I never thought of it that way. I do. I, you know, I, I, do, I'm a, a talk, I'm an amateur photographer myself. And that's where I, that's where I have fun is just shooting stuff. And how do I see this or how do I see that compared to what it was and what it is? And then looking at it later, I have a photo frame here. Oh, wow, I, I don't even remember doing that. Wow, I saw that then. I didn't even notice that that picture. That's really cool. Right. And it's and, training yourself to notice them in time to take them. Right. So like my photography students today, um, I gave them a challenge. I, I took them out to the front of the school and I said, you have to shoot a picture from this edge of the school to this edge of the front, the 
front side of the school, essentially. Okay. Mm -hmm. But you're, you have to shoot three pictures between now and next week. They all must be different from each other. And more importantly, they need to be different from what everybody else shoots. And that forces you to think about different frames. And it's interesting because some of my students, if you had shown me the picture without telling me who took it, I actually, I can tell because I know they're, which way their frames are working, right? But then I also sat out there and I, and I, lit a, I found a frame that kind of worked for me. Um, and, and then I pulled some of the students over and I said, okay, here's what I'm seeing. Here's these lines. Mm -hmm. Here's how this tree creates an interesting pattern. There's a dead tree in front, not a dead tree, but a wintry tree with no leaves, right? So all the great branches and everything in front of the building. It was a foggy day, which is rare around here. I know that shocks you, Paul. Um, I can't imagine uh, a place so, without fog, Tom. Well, we, it's not that we don't have fog, but the number of days in which we have fog are probably less than a week, right? So, and I'm not talking about what goes on between my ears. I'm talking about the outside environment. <laughs> um, but uh, it was kind of a foggy day. So the building behind was that you could see the shape, but it was kind of misty. And I said, well, here's some leading lines. Here's this cool thing. And then you've got this cool tree with all these patterns. And then you've got these shapes basically that identify the building behind it, but not a lot of detail there. And then I showed them, I walked them through it. I said, well, if you shoot it from here, you're going to have this in the shot. You need to, you know, look at all of the little details. Um, I found a really torturous assignment, which I kind of gave them, but then I pulled it back because I didn't have time to do it. I have this rule. I want to, I, I, I do every assignment my students are doing, um, which was, is to shoot 36 different images of the same thing. So pick an object, right? and and shoot 36 different images of that object that are different Hard. So change of frame change of perspective change the lighting change yeah I mean, there's a bunch of things you can do you really have to most most good photographers run out after about a dozen and then they start to really struggle <laughs> people who when i say good i mean people with a lot of experience um i'm sure there are people who have there's a, like in every art form, there's always the, the, um, prodigy, but, um, uh, but, uh, yeah, no, most people who have experience, even people who have experience struggle with that after a while. Um, but anyway, um, yeah. So yeah, my max, my, my watchword is simplify. Think about what, what you're trying to say. Think about how are you making those connect? How can you simplify the complexity of the world? We live in a world that is completely overrun with information. We, there's way too much information. Even Paul's imaginary books, he, he, I know he hasn't read all those. And um, well, Stop it. I, Stop I, it, Paul. I, I, know, I know, I know a, a significant percentage of my library I have never read, or I've only read part of it. It's funny because I, I have a lot. So this is another good example of simplifying. Books often complexify. How many books do you have where you've read the first 30 or 40 pages and then you went, okay, this is all he's really got to say here. You flip through, make sure there's nothing else there. But I have a bunch of books with a bookmark right at about page 40, right? Well, what are the other 180 pages for? Door stops. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> and so we've trained ourselves in the book era to complexify.
Well, now we're paying for that. We're paying it's, for that in 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 that we've got so many books that nobody's going to read. And it, I think part of that, and this is going down a weird rabbit hole, is there's the expectation when you write of having some sort of volume. Oh, you have to have, yeah. as opposed, like the pamphlet, a pamphlet is a wonderful thing. If you distill right. your ideas down to a pamphlet, it's easy to read and should be accessible, but pamphlets, you know, pamphlets aren't sexy to publishers. They like heft. They like something that can be dropped well, on a toe. I mean, th this, my, this book was a, is a very expensive business card. I've always thought of it that way, you know? And and the other one as well, uh, but that's really what it boils down to. It's mm -hmm. not that I think those people are going to read it, but merely saying I, I, I said it, mentioned book. it. To I have my, a book. One of my classes. Yeah, I mentioned it in one of my classes. They were like, "You wrote a book?" I'm like, "I've written two. Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> they were my. I, I was torturing my yearbook class today because I actually made them proof edit, copy edit the yearbook. Um, cause I went through it the other day and I was like, there's all these mistakes in here and they want me to submit these pages. I'm like, uh, uh, we're going to go look through this. We're going to actually this. edit this thing. We're, we're actually going to, yeah. And, 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 you know, and it's, it's painful because I've done, I've done desktop publishing. I've, I've written books, I've done editing, copy editing. And so anyway, but yeah. So we've we, talked about people influencing us and we talked about art influencing us. In terms of what we do, right? People can inspire, art can influence and inspire us to do things. Paul, what I, I'm I'm breezing through your thing. What what have you found as your inspiration for things? I see a couple of books, obviously. Uh I've just sort of trained myself and been and had wonderful mentors who taught me that with the right set of eyes and the right set of expectations, almost anything be some form of inspiration right now i'm preparing for a trip to paris and so i'm reading a lot about paris i've come across a couple of authors whose work i really like having gone through a five volume thing which that sounds awful but really this this writer is a wonderful storyteller she just brings paris to life over a span of 1850 to 1940 just if you like history wow. you like good storytelling you just breeze through this stuff like nobody's business so i finished that i realized she had a book that draws from some of the other stuff I've already read, but this one focuses on places to see in Paris that most people don't know about. And again, she's a great storyteller. Here's the inspiration. I started to read that thinking about the trip that's coming up. And within a few pages, all of a sudden I was thinking, this is a lovely setting. I really want to go see this thing she's describing. But more importantly, I've been playing recently again with starting to get back into writing fiction and picking up some characters and some, some storylines that I hadn't dealt with in a long time. Three pages into this writer's book on Paris, I was thinking, oh my word, if I took two of these characters in the next book in that series I'm trying to do, actually had them put it in the setting, it would be magic. And I'm already picturing that, that when we go see this place, I'm mm -hmm. going to have a book and I'm going to probably have a sketch of what I have in mind for them. Uh -huh. The inspiration was something I wasn't even looking for. I'm thinking Paris and the book and the way our crazy mind works is, oh my word. I can have these characters doing it. So it's like everything I read or look at gives me three, four, even five different sets of inspiration. And that keeps me going big time. So give me that quote again, please. The right eyes and Are you expectations. What 
Oh God, it was off the top of my head. We should actually go back to the recording later, but it was something along the lines. With the with the right attitude and open eyes and an open mind, everything can be inspirational. Everything can can lead you down paths you didn't even expect. All right, that works. And we just had we had a question in chat. Diane was wondering what uh, framing was, and then Tom threw up uh, some pictures of his. And that's but no, but that's that's really what framing is. And you you do it every time, even if you take a picture with your phone, you are creating. The, you are taking. I took a, that picture are, with my phone. You are framing <laughs> something and capturing it. And mm-hmm. creating your context. That's what you do as a photographer is you create the context. You see this thing, you create the context. And sometimes it makes sense to others and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to you. So Maurice, you're gonna put a link in the show notes to that photograph, right? The to what the um the image that he just put up about framing is like Diane. I just while we're talking, I brought the image of it. Gosh, Tom, that is just spectacular. The framing of that arch. The buildings you see through the arch, the spectacular colors on those buildings, the image is the beginning for me. I can almost hear the street sounds. I can almost smell the fragrance of that street, not even knowing where it is. It's just so wonderfully evocative. Thanks. The thing you can tell about any sort of framing, though, any sort of image like that or anything, is how much thought went into it. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the, that's the real challenge with our learners is getting them to think deeply about things. And, um, my, I have students in my photography class who will basically, in order to fulfill an assignment, shoot a picture as they're walking up to class with their phone. And by the way, um, a phone is every bit as valid a photographic instrument as the, uh, DSLR that I shoot with as well. I probably shoot. I've in for a long time. I've been shooting more with my phone because yep. I've been too lazy it's, to take out my other camera. But one of the handy. other realizations, it's handy exactly, and I can get, I can you get uh, pictures as good as I got on my on the DSLR I had ten years ago. Yep. Let's just say. Yep. Um, but I don't have as much control over it, uh, and so I can't. I can't adjust the depth of field. I can't adjust the shutter speed and things like that, which limits the canvas I have to paint with. So, um, but um, the, um, and what I've decided also is that I've, I, phone, the phone is often an adjunct to other activities. So I'm walking around and, you know, or I'm, I'm, you know, and that's fine. Sometimes walking helps me loosen my brain. I mean, actually, it always helps me loosen my brain. And I take a lot of pictures on my walks, uh, but uh, and I take them with my phone almost exclusively. But what I've decided recently with my photography is that I I need to separate those two things out. I need to take time to just do photography as you know, just as photography by itself. And that's where I'm pulling out. I got a I got a new camera uh, with my Christmas money that um i bought specifically because my old big camera was frustrating the heck out of me because it was getting in my way and uh so i didn't use it It yeah um i bought it because of its size and weight because i thought oh well you know i'm taking all these pictures with my phone i'm going to instead i want to i want a small light camera maybe i'll take it with me and and i'll do real pictures with it 
no it's it's still i still left it behind so i'm like okay fine i'm gonna go for i want a camera that's going to do exactly what i want and not mess with me and that's that's what i did so um but it's the idea that i have to divide and then i have to take that time and that's the this is the key point i was trying to make here though is that i have to take that time to stop and think about photography in a very deep way that i don't necessarily do with my camera with my phone it's not that i take snapshots with my phone i don't think anybody would argue that i mean i do but i don't i still think very carefully about i still have these muscles in my head that help me you know you still you still yeah. frame the damn photograph i mean that right i mean this picture again snapshot. the picture i shared i shot that with my phone right because you, but you, yeah. you can still frame a shot you take all the you take all those skills that you use with the big clunky thing and then you can translate it to your phone you know i need this right. perspective i can't shoot this thing in this light I have to have the I have to walk over here so the light hits it just right. You do all those things processing because you have all that muscle memory from using the big bulky camera. And I start I started out with yeah. an old school Sears manual. Tom, mm -hmm. everything was manual. Everything. I started out with a Canon TL. Everything. Yep. Everything's yeah. manual. And and I had a kit. One of my favorite cameras didn't even have a light meter. I had a Leica M2. Oh, you were risky. So. You risked the biscuit. No, I got to where I got. No, that was one, actually one of my absolute. Because here's the thing. This gets to that comment I made in the chat about technologies to simplify, not make more complex. This is part of the same thing. This is also one of my missions in simplifying. If a technology makes, if you have to, if you're messing with the technology, you're not doing what you need to do. Yeah. I say this over and over again. If you're messing with the camera. You're not doing photography. And so this camera with no light meter manual only i got to where i recognized this light situation i, I didn't even pull out i had a handheld light meter but i never hardly ever used it because i got to where i could recognize not only the show the the exposure i mean the um framing and everything but also the exposure and say okay this is what i'm going to need to shoot at mm -hmm. and i didn't have this wasn't a digital either so it's like i didn't couldn't check i had to wait till i got the film back and I screwed up shots, sure. But I also got some really nice shots, mainly because I was very much in that moment, right. in that in that environment. And and that's what I need to get back to with my photography right now and what I'm trying to get back to. So I've, I'm also simplifying my kit. I'm getting rid of, not getting rid of, but I'm not going to use most of my zoom lenses, only fixed lenses. So I have yeah. to really get to know. I don't try to, I, I try not to buy lenses very frequently because it takes me six months before I'm, comfortable with a lens where right. it starts to become second nature where i see a scene and i say i need that lens right it's like a surgeon with his instruments right give me the this scalpel or that sort of thing and as a teacher one of the frustrations is you want to be able i want to be able to do the same thing i want to have a precise set of tools that when i see a student having this kind of problem mm -hmm. i can customize that approach without having to worry too much about the tool. Right now, one of the things that we've gotten very used to over the last 30 years is we've ad gradually added technology to the classroom is that this guy has gotten more complicated and that people freak out if you give them too much, throw too much technology. They've been trained to freak out about, oh, technology. And I've always been, you know what? Screw it, it's digital. If you mess it up, just redo it. It's not right. like you're or chiseling editing. it in. You're not Michelangelo with his 
hammering, removing right. the stone to try to find the statue underneath. If you mess that up, you're done. You know, that's this is, this is digital. If you mess it up, erase yeah. the disk and do it again, right? Who cares? Right. And the same thing's true with the photography. I'm like, just shoot, you know, and and just by the act of doing it, you get to those 10,000 hours and stuff. When when I was starting, of course, and when we were starting, that was expensive. I mean, I remember working, I mean, I worked in a camera store. I remember a professional camera store. I remember, you know, there was one guy who came in every Monday morning with like 30 or 40 rolls of film to develop. And it said dollars a roll you know what that you know and he was a professional but still if you wanted to you know he he was good but it was because he got to shoot that much most of us don't didn't get to shoot that much because we go broke buying right. film and processing it forget about buying the camera that's the cheap part feeding the camera there's problems <laughs> we don't have that problem i mean now you know you can get an sd card for 10 bucks right. and shoot 500 pictures on it easily right so and erase it and do it again, right? And so these are things that we are mindsets, our scarcity mindsets have never been able to wrap their heads around. And this translates into the way we teach. This is, translates into the way we're operating in the classroom in that, you know, we think of hard physical objects and finite resources in the classroom. The, the only finite resource in the classroom is time. It's always been true, but when we're messing around with stuff that's not directly relevant to what we're trying to simplify for people, that's eating time. And that drives me absolutely bananas is, is, you know, when things eat time that I would rather be using for something else. The, my biggest complaint about my classes, I was so funny. Uh, again, I was just coming out of adjunct meeting and they're all like, Oh, we need to make sure more of our students succeed. So just give them that extra tender, loving care and 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 show them they mean something and it's meaningful. I'm like, okay, you want that? I'm happy to do that. Don't give me a class with 32 students in it then. <laughs> because here's the here's the here's the cold hard fact. With my classes, if I start with 32 students, I finish with 16. If I start with 24 students, I finish with 16. I'll just give you 16 students. Well, you gotta, you're going to have some shrinkage no matter what. But my point is the percentage, the smaller the class. Because if I have a smaller class, then I have time to reach out to that student and go, hey, you realize you've missed the last three assignments and you're basically going to fail this class if you don't you know, change that up. You know, With the bigger classes, that level of TLC, I, do, I don't have time. And the most productive time I have with my students every semester is when I meet with each one of them individually and spend 15 minutes with each student in Zoom and talk through, okay, where are you at? How's your work going? What do you have questions about? You know, et cetera, et cetera. How can we clarify your project? That sort of stuff. I do that twice a semester. I do it once right after the first major assignment. And then I do it again at the end of the semester. It's easier at the end of the semester because there's a hell of a lot less students. But it's that's the thing is that they don't seem to grok that is that, you know, it's not an efficient system. The more students you pack in does not mean the more students you graduate or the more right. students that come through the other end. It's it's an inverse relationship. And I know 32 students doesn't sound like a lot. But I'm being paid four times as much in the private school to teach half that number. Mm. God bless the private sector. 
Well, and, and I like yeah. in chat, Diane, what you say about composition is the joy of finding excellence. I like yeah. that. Yeah. It's, That's it's, true it's, of literary composition as well as photographic composition yep. or visual composition. And musical composition. Absolutely. No, musical and composition. musical composition. I, I was yeah. just, I was thinking about another influence. I, mm -hmm. In a past life, I was a jazz DJ, and I often think of tone and tempo when mm -hmm. talking and speaking and do, doing a uh, when presenting a webinar. Your tone mm -hmm. and your tempo really matter. You know, a slight change to your tempo and tone creates a slightly different brain pattern in a person, maybe makes them wake up, or you talk a little bit softer, harder. So this is very important to you during this thing. Or this is really important. You may want to listen here. Creating using the using your tools to yeah. to create some sort of tonal change, which is I, I do think of. I sometimes when I'm talking. I, I think in I think in jazz meter, as it were. I pretend I'm a drummer. And you're you're going faster, slower, changing the tempo, etc. It's just it's just another way my brain works to help me do what we do is you know, I think of myself as a bit of a musician. It's a conduct you're a conductor. Really in front of class, you're a conductor. You're framing it, mm -hmm. you're sh you're showing it, you're conducting, you're going faster, slower. You have to figure out, as you say, Tom, if your students are with you or not. You know, and you have to judge by body language, you, the work they do, or in my case, what they say. And the questions you're mm -hmm. asking to figure out, oh, you actually have no freaking clue what I'm talking about. Okay, then we're going to have to go back. Or you get it. I'm already advanced. Let's really dive into some cool stuff. How do we best use this time together to help you do something really fun and excellent? Mm -hmm. So there really are various ways we can you know, use and inspirations for all sorts of things. You know, the people we right. meet, art, music, read a good a good book, as you know, as Tom has alluded to with Paul's fake books behind him, which aren't fake. I've seen them. In fact, I think I slept in that room <laughs> with the books. Yes, I did sleep in that room. The books. And you read every one of them while you were there, right? It you no. think you slept in that room with the books. It was <laughs> a hologram. It was a hologram. Screaming at him all night saying, read me, read me. Read me, read me, read me. Screaming at read me. But in all, in all seriousness, the nice part about what we all do is that we have the desire and ability to take all these disparate things and make a better environment for our learners. That's really what it is. We all have different things. Everyone has a different learning, a different teaching style. And I gotta tell you, you know, it, it's great sitting in something and watching someone who has a someone who has a different presenting or teaching style, seeing how they do it and what I can completely steal from them or not steal from them, or just admire, you know, my brain can go, wow, that's really cool how they did that. Boy, they really snuck that shit in. No, they didn't really sneak it in. And, and you know, you, you know that if you do doing this at any length of time, you understand there's the the uh the various things that you have to do and have to accomplish, and the various quote unquote tricks to that. And mm -hmm. 
some people are better at using those tricks or not. And I like it when I know what you're going to do. I know how you have to do it. And damn it, you still got me. You know, I like that. I like being surprised like that because it's rare now. I've been doing, I've been training teaching and learning for 30 years. I, I've seen some stuff. And when I see stuff that is completely surprising to me, I love it. Or when I learn something new. I went to a class and learned, I learned how to stand properly, which changed how I presented. Blew my freaking mind. Like, stand, I want you to do this. Stand like this. Put your feet here. What? Put your feet here. That doesn't feel right. I know. Put your feet there. And it worked. It just worked. Which is cool. It's it's uh, always seeking out that education. Always seeking it, you know, being a continue. Yes, continuous learning. We should always be learning. I had the same experience with when I went to an ATD meeting quite a while back, association with talent development. We had an actor that was talking to us about body language and stance. One of the things he did that mirrored what you just described, Maurice, was saying, we all worry about where we put our hands. Are we going to fold our arms in front of our right. chest? Are we going to put our hands in our pocket? Are we going to keep them behind us? Are we going to cross them in front of us like a secret service agent or <laughs> eat, with a, eat with a fig leaf? And he says, here's the tip, folks. Just let your arms hang. It's going to feel so weird at first, but right. that neutral stance works so that when you are going to do a gesture, it's so right. much more meaningful than if you're frenetically waving your arms as if you're swatting gnats or flies throughout your entire presentation. <laughs> and he was right. It took a while for me to get to that point where I could just but let Paul, my arms hang and not feel Paul, weird about it. You're Italian. You're genetically incapable of not waving your hands around, aren't you? I, I ah. carry five pound weights in my shirt under the sleeves, Tom, just to keep them weighted down it, now. Here's the thing. <laughs> I'm from New York. <laughs> New Yorkers talk with their hands. What we do. Yeah, we're, we're designed true. to do that. Literally designed to do that. But it how you use that hand gestures, if you make them big enough, <laughs> they're going to be effective. No, seriously, if you make them big enough, they're going to be effective. You know, Tom, or you use that gesture one more time, there's going to be a civil war here. Just saying. <laughs> but I love that swatting gnats and flies with your presentation. I like that. I like that. But it's true. Most people don't know how to. You you watch someone's like, wow, you don't like. I didn't notice your hands getting your way at all. And when you used them, you used them. They were a tool. They weren't just again a thing you're swatting gnats and flies with. You know, let it hang at your side naturally. Yeah, it feels weird. Don't and don't put it in your damn pocket. Some people I know who wave their hands so continuously that when we're talking, I have to look away from them because I just find it distracting. Like, what? 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 You're, you're, <laughs> what am I supposed to be looking at? You start, I, I you start blinking. You start blinking. Oh, oh, wait! You weren't coming at my face. Oh, I'm my having God. an epileptic fit. <laughs> <laughs> but there you go. It, it, that's also being inspired by your own learning. That's yeah. another way. And you be inspired by your own learning. Like, oh, that's kind of cool. Well, and art is in the movement. Yeah. And we go back to something Tom said when he was talking about stepping away and exercising or doing something that gets him moving. I put in a chat that it brought back memories of one of the few Latin phrases I know attributed to St. Augustine, solvitur ambulando, which is it is solved by walking. And ever since I came across that quite a while back, I realized 
like Tom, if I'm stuck, I set whatever's sticking me aside. And Are I would take you sure that doesn't mean if you think you're in an, you wind up in an ambulance? I actually think it has both meanings, Tom. You know, if that's what appeals to you, I'm, I'm quite willing to go there. <laughs> That's all oh, the best God, time been an ambulance this time. Oh, God, it's the end of the show. We're having Latin jokes. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, I actually, been, I actually, uh, I, one of my proudest puns of all time was a trilingual pun that uh, started in English, went into Latin, and ended in, in French. So, That's just a circle. I tried doing out. that in pig Latin, and it hurts. I was in the oh, hospital for a week. No. So on, uh, talking about what Diane is talking about here, though, on page 161 of Discovering Digital Humanity, get your mm -hmm. copy today on Amazon. I, I have a chart that talks about how we go from thought to understanding um, as we communicate things and how the different media, and I include music because there's um, there's three main pathways. There's visual, there's textual, and there's sonic. And all of these communicate narrative to the the other side. They just do it in very different ways. Mm. And so text is linear, simple. Visual is is holistic, uh, conceptual. So like a concept map. You know, mm. you see the whole world. That's what I want AI to help me with. And then there's linear, complex, which is is music. Complex, but it's also linear because you have the beginning, and middle, and the end of a piece. What you're saying makes me realize how lucky I was to be exposed to the teachers I had as an undergraduate. Some of the students too, they would, the math students would talk about math as a language that made me realize music is a language, but we don't think about it that way. When people try to- Oh yeah, music absolutely in Words describe what a song means or a piece of music means. It's like, no folks, it's a whole different language. If you want to describe it, you almost have to sing it or play it to describe it. Yeah. We're going to put it in, and I got I, I got into an argument. I think it was with my son the other day about math being a language. Um, well, yeah, coding is, is definitely coding. Is a, yeah, it was Carter. Beautiful. It was Carter. Yeah, coding's a language. Painting oh, yeah. is a language. Photography coding, is a language. Coding is most definitely a language. And it's I think math is too. I think one of the reasons we fail is because we don't teach it that way. We don't teach coding, coding as a language either. Coding is a conversation. Yeah, but it's we really, don't teach it that way. I, I get that because those teachers suck. And my two coding teachers suck. But coding is a conversation. You're trying to talk to this thing to get it to do this other thing. Mm -hmm. and How do I do that? How do I get it to understand I want this particular result or I want it to do this thing? It's a conversation. And, of course, AI has humanized that conversation in a way that people find disturbing you can also use it to create code by the way right um but the thing i i so again one of the speakers today kind of went keyboard a uh, chalk on a on a chalkboard i mean fingernails on a chalkboard um but yeah great great career path now prompt engineering and i'm like <laughs> Yeah, okay. So that's going to make you a lot of money in the short term. But the reason it's it's necessary is because it's it's hard right now relatively speaking. Right. It's going to get a lot easier. Right. It made a huge leap when we got to a chat GPT kind of interface with AI. About coding. Think about how hard coding was when you were doing it zeros and ones at a time in 1960 and you're programming in binary and you were writing the languages 
that we still use in many cases today, like yep. Lisp and 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 Fortran, and um, and so yeah, that's the thing is it's like oh yeah, there's a quick buck to be made in prompt engineering right now, but it ain't gonna last no. because that's the whole point is that this stuff is getting easier and easier. And any, if you don't understand English, town. it's a right. boom town. It's the oil exactly. Rip- uh, the you, gold you, rush, just like you, San Francisco. It's, it's a gold rush or the oil rush. You know, in those towns in Pennsylvania where they built up in five seconds, they found all the oil, and then 10 years later, there yeah. wasn't any more oil, and everyone's gone, and the ground is screwed up, etc. So, Paul, you are frightening and get out of my brain. because He's that doing is it to you, too. That is the show title. The Joy of Finding Excellence is the show title. <laughs> Wow! If you think we're we shouldn't be afraid of AI, we should be afraid of Paul. That's the show. Be very afraid afraid of Paul. But no, no, no. That's exactly the show title, Paul. I already I'm doing because Jill is not here tonight. I'm doing notes as I go. I've already put it at the top of the thing, ready to put in the post. Can I suppose? Can well, all right. I'm going to propose a slight alteration, but you can take it or leave it. I said. How about the joy of finding simplicity? We need another show, Tom. <laughs> They're both equally good. We need another show. <laughs> no, it's going to be. Look, I, I'll tell you, this is what my aunt did. My uh, my grandmother it had my mother and my aunt wanted to do the naming thing in the hospital. This is you know, way back when. And she said, well, it's I, I want one of these two names for her. So my aunt said, fine, I'll name her both and you choose which one you want to call her. That's what we're gonna do. The joy of finding excellence or simplicity, take your pick. Well, I mean, um I just put a comment. Well, supposed to the finding of excellence, and then I'll put I, the I take put your it, simplicity as the alternate show title. I I, I want to recommend a um a a a, a a, a documentary to, to make you think about these things as well and it's called objectified and it's about design and um i was actually i watched this video i, I watch this every few years because it really because it's all about some finding simplicity as well it, it's one of my favorite but um it's um the, the i think you can find it on youtube I think it's out there. It's about 10 years old now. It's the same guys who did Helvetica about Gary history. Hustlet. Yeah. And um anyway, so I watched this video, watched this documentary on the flight up to a new media consortium conference about 10 years ago. And as as a, a result of watching that video, I said, I'm gonna take five slides out of my 25 slide dot slide deck. I'm going to simplify Mm -hmm. that much. I'm going to be brutal and I'm going to take the fluff out. It's one of the best presentations I've ever given Hmm. because I did that. And I think a lot of times in my problem when I'm in a hurry is not that I don't do enough. It's that I do too much. The the hard tedious part is stripping all that back. When you're in a hurry, you do too much. Yeah. And there's a lot of crap that you don't need to be talking about because you're throwing everything, including the kitchen sink, into it. So um, the kitchen sink's not relevant to what you're talking about, though. So therefore, you so create you, a less 
targeted, simple presentation. Or, so what or, you're or doing is sculpting. Yeah, you, you are. It's the same thing. And you sculpt. You, you take, you, you figure out what to remove, just like is in that, a photograph. Is that the full video, Paul, or is that the trailer? It, this I one's think for five Tom, minutes. Tom, how long is the one you've seen? Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a, like a ninety-minute. Okay, so this is a five-minute yeah. version. All of right. the one I put so, uh, let me let, let me see if I can find it. I I swear right. I saw it on somewhere. It said Vimeo. Um, I just did a quick search. It said Vimeo. By the way, shows this is so. Oh yeah, that's right. It's on Vimeo. Right, Jill. <laughs> this is what you usually do in the background in like five seconds. <laughs> So, yeah, we're doing this in real time on the show. This is under the this is under the hood with T is for training. <laughs> it's under Ooh, the it's hood. dark in here. It's under the hood. That's exactly what I said earlier about Tom's mind, but you know. <laughs> we don't need that. Uh, no. <laughs> you don't need, you don't need that. <laughs> Okay, so it's 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 just, broken up into three parts, but it's all I, there. I just I just thought I'd, I'd put out I put out that's my you know my old D, that's my old DJ voice. Oh, there we go. Yes, welcome to <laughs> welcome to 89.9 WKCRFM New York. My name is Maurice Coleman, and we're with the jazz till dawn. Anyway, uh, we're gonna get way in the weeds. Tom, if you can sh now, I put look, folks, y'all can do some damn research. Put it in the yourself. chat. Part part one is there's part one, but all three all uh, they're multiple part. It's broken up, but it's all there. Okay. Well, I'm gonna copy link address. I have the the IMDb thing. I have the trailer, and then we'll put the link to part one. Yeah. All right, folks. It is ten oh six. Thank you it's all. On for it's on it's on canopy. If you've got canopy. Oh. Okay. You get that through your local library. Public library. There you go. Go visit Maurice and Diane, preferably at the same time. If you do it at the same time, you're an extremely large creature, and you crush <laughs> the earth. I'm, I'm visiting both of you at the same time. I'm just saying. All right. So, yeah. Support your local right. librarian. We're, we are going to end. So the name of the show is The Joy of Finding Excellence. The secondary title or simplicity, take your damn pick. And thank you, Paul. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Diane, for an excellent show. Uh, I will have notes up soonish and a link to the program probably in the next 20, 30, 50 minutes. I don't know. Uh, with that, thank you all very much. Listen to the Library Training Podcast. He's training episode number 352 is in the books. We'll be back on oh, the crap. 25th of January at mm. 9 p.m after uh a actually midwinter is going to be here in my little hamlet and i will be sneaking in there without a badge and try yeah well i don't sneak but so much and you know i can't get media credentials from ala because they don't consider this you know some sort of media whatever then uh but we may have a report because i know paul will be there and maybe get a little bit about what he sees there uh, as part of the show or at least the intro. Anyway, that's it. Bye-bye. So long. Farewell. Afida Zeng. Good night. Have fun, y'all. See you in two weeks.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.